And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to The Shape of Water. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 127 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Time of recording, 9.15 p.m. on... <gasps> January 22nd, 2019. That means, everyone, today was the 91st annual Oscar nominations. Oh, man. Had to get that out of my system. Oh, man, what a day it's been. It's been exhausting. It's been uplifting. It's been heartbreaking. There were highs. There were lows. There were surprises. There were snubs. This episode is going to be solely dedicated to talking about the nominations for the 91st Academy Awards. Here to help me go through it all, I have Michael Schwartz. I have been looking forward to this all day. I'm so excited for Oscar nominations. Also joining me, I have Josh Parm. Hello, hello. Celia Shalekaway. Hi there. Tom O'Brien. Happy nomination day, everybody. And also joining us over from the UK, Liam Heffernan. Good morning, everyone. All right, all right. Liam, what time is it over there? It is 2.16 a.m. What the hell is oh wrong with God. you? <laughs> That's commitment. Well, I really, really appreciate your commitment. I have to say, I really, really do. I mean, this is a this is a big one, right? This is an episode that we've waited all year for. It is the final showdown to determine who gets to go to our Super Bowl. For anyone that watched that game the other night, that was pretty. Oh that was pretty. God, that was inti- <laughs> I know, right? It was almost as dramatic as the nominations today, but the nominations were certainly more dramatic for sure. As I said before, there were plenty of surprises to be had in store for all of us. Camille Nanjiani and Tracy Ellis Ross guided us through the nominations this morning. I we all watched them live, uh, live via stream, and. I mean, let's just get right into them. Let's let's actually first start off by embarrassing ourselves uh, first with the shorts categories. Um, and I say embarrassed because I'm, I'm raising my hand right now. I have not seen any of the shorts. You haven't seen Belle? Uh, well, I mean, okay. Yeah, sure. Everyone's seen Belle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just keeping you honest there. But I typically tend to seek out the shorts once they are nominated. Uh, and that's what I intend to do this year. We'll see if I actually get a chance to do that. So uh, just going through the nominations really quickly for Best Animated Short. We have Animal Behavior, Bow, Late Afternoon, One Small Step, and Weekends. For Documentary Short, Black Sheep, Endgame, Lifeboat, A Night at the Garden, Period, End of Sentence. And for Best Live Action Short, Detainment, Fav, Marguerite, Mother, and skin. All right, I said I'm going to embarrass you all. Who here has seen the shorts? I have not seen the shorts, but I did like a cursory research before predicting them, so I'm a little familiar with them, but I haven't seen them all in their entirety. So that, like you, Matt, I kind of wait to 
just catch them in the theater because I always love to do that when they bring them out into the theater. That's the one I usually try to catch them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not much else left to add other than that. I know that as the weeks go on, we'll all try to see them in our own way, I'm, I'm sure. And hopefully if they're playing by a theater near you, uh, definitely I encourage everyone to seek them out. They are filmmakers of tomorrow and uh, filmmakers that maybe should be getting a, a, a larger scaled project. Uh, there's certainly always a lot of talent to be found within the shorts. Best visual effects. Nominees were Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, Solo, A, a Star Wars Story. No Black Panther, no Welcome to Marwin. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it for nothing. <laughs> and no Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, Josh, I appreciate you seeing that film, uh, regardless of which. I really do. Uh, looking at this crop of nominees here, the first thing that uh, comes to my mind, and I'm sure it came to everyone's mind, is no Best Picture nominees. Yeah, I can't remember the last time that happened. You know, even when Ex Machina won, it was up against Mad Max and The Revenant. And the Martian. Yeah, the Martian. Yeah, the Martian. Yeah, so I can't remember the last time we've had a visual effects lineup with no Best Picture contender. 2014? The year Interstellar won? Oh, oh yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. That sounds right to me. I, I mean, if Interstellar won, it, I guess it must have been the the highest profile nominee there that was not a Best Picture nominee, I imagine. So. Yeah, I Were there any last so. year? Ah, <sighs> last year. Last year. Uh, well, last year was the year that uh, Blade Runner 2049 won. And yeah, no, it too. Uh, okay, so my mind is just going then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, in any event, though, uh, this is a, this is an interesting crop here because first man underperformed on the day, mm-hmm. scoring only four nominations, and they are the four nominations that we're going to do actually in order here, uh, all below the line, all tax, and then you have Avengers: Infinity War. Which, I mean, all right, listen, I don't want to blow my own horn or nothing like that, but I've been saying since I've seen the damn movie that Avengers Infinity War is going to win this Oscar. Now, uh, I don't actually know if that's true now, I have to say. Because I, I, I do look at First Man and I say to myself, is this another Interstellar kind of mm-hmm. a nominee? Yeah, because one of the things I think you can do when you look at visual effects is Try to find the movie that, if it's not a Best Picture nominee, the one that feels the most like a Best Picture nominee, like Interstellar, like Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. And that does feel like First Man to me. And Avengers, I know we just had this big breakthrough with Marvel, but they still struggle in this category. They've never won a major Oscar before. And I kind of feel like they might just pick First Man because it is the more prestigious, quote unquote, movie in the group. Boy, yeah, that would, sounds about right. Yeah, this would be so such a different race if Christopher Robin didn't get in and Black Panther did. We actually have a fan question here from uh, Zomagata Chicken on Twitter, and he or she asks us uh, for the visual effects Oscar. Will the shining scene in Ready Player One be enough to put it over the top for voters? I don't think it's going to win. But I think the visual effects in Ready Player One are downright stellar. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. if it were to win, not just from that sequence, but for everything from, you know, the race scene to uh, just pretty much everything the, else. The final climactic, like, yeah, throw everything really, at the really screen really except the kitchen sink. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was pretty insane, those visual effects, I have to say. I mean, if they, and, and that's interesting, too, because you say to yourself, you know, maybe this will be a case where more visual effects wins the Oscar here. But mm-hmm. in comparing Avengers Infinity War with Ready Player One, they're both two great examples of more, 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 more. We're going to just throw it all at the screen. So maybe they cancel each other out. First Man does prevail. Uh, but the one thing I want to ask about First Man, and this is something that uh, I think was definitely a headline grabber of the day, not the headline grabber, but one of them for sure, is just what happened with First Man? Why did this movie not get more love? Stephen Keller is asking us, he wants to know, why did First Man not perform as well as it did at Critics' Choice and at BAFTA? I think the signs of First Man doing well above the line were sort of killed with Golden Globes. Yeah. And then there was a little resurgence at BAFTA and Critics' Choice, but we weren't sure how far it would go. Yeah, I mean, because even, even when all was said and done, I mean, most of us were thinking Foy and maybe Picture? Right? Like, no Chazelle, no Gosling, no screenplay. Well, yeah, but we kind of talked about how, like, if there's none of that other stuff that's above the line, how can we even really consider picture? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough to get into picture if you don't have any above the line mentions. Although, there was one particular film this year that did manage to pull that off. Uh, but we'll get into that in more in just a second oh, here. I just I had a question about First Man and its underperformance. This is, I mean, this has been something that he, that Chazelle has had to deal with, like, ever since the film has come out, you know, it had an underwhelming box office and kind of the instant Friday night numbers came in. Everybody was like, well, this film's a bust. And then that kind of came true throughout the rest of the award cycle. Is this like still kind of oversaturation from La La Land? Like, like why... Why was it so dead on arrival? Uh, well, the dead on arrival thing could be attributed to, I, I, I suppose, the flag controversy coming out of Telluride. Uh, does anyone want to dispute that? or? No, I, I, think, I think it really cut into uh, middle America's desire to see the film. Yeah, I would say so. Because otherwise, had that not have happened, you know, I, I think the American sniper crowd uh, probably would have come through for this movie in a major way. I think it could have done much more box office, but this idea, and this is something that's going to be a common theme here, I think, on today's uh, analysis of the nominations. The, the the perception of a film is everything, regardless of the objective quality, the subjective quality. It's just all about the perception. And the perception is that First Man was a failure, mm-hmm. and as a result of which, Maybe didn't get seen by enough people. Maybe it wasn't top of their screener pile. Maybe it wasn't something that they just were enthusiastic about and they placed their votes elsewhere for a lot of other things in other areas because, man, oh, man, First Man, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll get to this as we keep going category by category. There were some places where First Man should have landed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So moving on now to best sound mixing. We have Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, Roma, a star is born. No quiet place. No a quiet place. But I I have to say I'm a little um, surprised that Black Panther was able to manage that mixing nod. Mixing and editing, because Marvel movies Marvel movies are not usually well regarded in the sound categories. Mm-hmm. 
So, uh, the and, and you know, for sound editing, I guess I'll, we'll just pair them up and talk about them together. Uh, overlap between the two categories. For sound editing, you have Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, First Man, and once again, Roma. Stars Born in Mixing. Instead, in editing, the lone sound editing nominee of this year, there's always typically one, is A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. Which if Do it's going to get anywhere, it should be sound editing. Yeah. Do we think it's going to win? No. I don't think so. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it had to have scored somewhere else. It could have been sound mixing. It could have been... Screenplay? Uh, just any, anywhere, but above the line, below the line, just somewhere else aside from the one. Now, I have to say, in looking at this, I I kid you guys not. And I think, because I actually asked all of you to provide me with your early uh, predictions, you all do not know what to do with sound editing. Yeah. <laughs> and quite frankly, neither do I. Yeah. I have Black Panther for now, but I don't know. I don't feel good about that. Mixing is I... much easier. Yeah, mixing is easy. That's a place to just check off a Stars Born or hell, maybe even Roma. Although have, pa- yeah. Parm, you're thinking it's going to be Bohemian, right? Yeah, I have Bohemian and mixing, and I think I have First Man in editing. See, I feel like if you're going to give First Man anything, I do feel like sound editing is the best yeah. thing yeah. of yeah. all of its have, nominations. I have Roma for one. I think it's. I think I have Roma for mixing and First Man for editing. Uh, in terms of uh, snubs here. Uh, I don't even know if you could call it a snub, but more of a disappointment. Let's let's call it that instead. Uh, I'm really, really sad Mission Impossible Fallout could not get a single nomination. Yeah, that looked like it was going to happen. Yeah, I held on to hope that that would, especially after that BAFTA nod. I was feeling so good about it. And the fact that it showed up in the guilds. I just hate that uh, franchise for some reason. I don't, I don't know why. It's um, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom Cruise. Honestly. Uh, best production design, Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. No surprises there. Well, actually, I think for me, the biggest surprise was considering what an underwhelming day First Man had. Like, this is all four of its nominations. Mm-hmm. I thought production design was one of the places where it was weakest. And uh, call me surprised, but yeah, I was definitely shocked that it was able to pull off this nod. Considering they could have gone for a Fantastic Beast, they could have gone for Crazy Rich Asians. You know, there were other options on the table. They could have even done the... They built that whole moon set, and I'm sure the production designers were fully aware of that. Mm. And it's Nathan Crowley, who he works on a bunch of Nolan movies and gets nominated for those, so he's very popular with the branch, too. Yeah. I... I, and maybe I might be alone in this, but this was when I was trying to rank this category, this was really tough for me because honestly, the production design in each of these was so good mm-hmm. that I was just kind of like, personally, any one of them could win. And I'd be like, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's a very strong and, category. And they're so different. Yeah. yeah they're very yeah. distinct. They, they all have such different styles. And like, um, I think I ended up picking... The favorite with Black Panther as a number two, but like I said, and really any of them. Was there anything that missed though? That you know, mm, this was one of the categories I went five for five on. So yeah, I, same here. I yeah. wouldn't say anything missed. If there was a number six, I actually think it was probably Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling that too. Although I have to say, one of the things that definitely caught my eye with the nominations this morning. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians joins a very, very, very small 
list of films that have received PGA nominations and have not been able to translate that into a single Oscar nomination on the day. Not just PGA, but also Golden Globes Best Picture and a SAG nomination. And I really, I, I was holding out hope. It was one of my uh, outlier picks that I know was going against the grain of what everyone else was doing. Like you said, Josh, you went five for five. I was hoping it could land in here or in costume design because I just didn't want to see a world where Crazy Rich Asians got completely shut out and lo and behold, it did. Same thing with another film that, uh, you know, we were talking about sound before. Oh, man, I feel like we're going to look back and say to ourselves, what the hell happened with Widows? Yeah, yeah, that, that one just—it just did not hit, did it? That was like it was like First Man. Mm-hmm. It just the perception that this movie was supposed to be a big, big, big success, and then when it turned out not to be, it just became almost like an excuse for people to write it off. Well, it's interesting when you look at uh, Fox, and then you look at Universal. You know, at the beginning of the season, Universal had First Man. And Fox had widows. They were positioning them as their big front runners. And then Green Book and Bohemian Rhapsody come along and everything shifts. Well, so Luca uh, Gilliberti, Luca uh, Leonardo 99 asks us, what is your ultimate takeaway from these nods? And what his ultimate takeaway was, if you didn't make a strong showing at the box office, you are a loser in the mind of the Academy, despite critical acclaim. I'm looking at you, First Man and Widows. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, I am a little surprised that the nominations truly did reflect that. But then again, I also have to remind myself, this is the industry after all, and the industry loves the success. Yeah, every once yeah. in a while, you'll see a disappointment, quote unquote, come in there. Like I know Hugo was considered a big financial disappointment, but at the same time, it was also the big Martin Scorsese movie of that year. Yeah. Um, do we know, I don't, I don't happen to know what Roma's like final box office numbers kind of ended up. Being. No one does. We'll never know. No. Nope. Netflix. <laughs> that's, that's the point. They didn't release like the actual theater numbers. Nope. Netflix will never tell. Wow. The only movie they've ever, ever, ever reported numbers on. And who knows how accurate this was, uh, was for Bird Box. I know that they don't report viewer numbers on their website, but I figured theater ticket purchases would be reported. No. And the studio has to release those numbers. They choose whether or not to release that information, and Netflix said, nope, we're just going to keep that. Strange. You know, you would figure that after the success of today, in terms of, you know, Battle of Buster Scruggs and Roma, you would think that just in terms of feeding into this idea that perception is everything, that they would release those numbers. Yeah. I'm sure they got to be good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's in the realm of like a indie limited release, but I would assume those per theater averages are pretty good. But I also think Netflix still, at the end of the day, wants to push people onto the streaming service, and I think they do the theatrical release to appease the filmmakers. But I still think they don't even really like that, doing that all that much. Sure. Uh... Best original song. We saw Netflix pop up again. Black Panther, All the Stars, RBG, I'll Fight, Mary Poppins Returns, The Place Where Lost Things Go, not Trip a Little Light Fantastic, A Star Is Born, Shallow, and Aha! The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings. Kudos, Michael. I'm very proud of Kudos. that. Kudos. 
Yes, Carter Burwell. I'm very happy. Fan of that man. Michael, I have to say, you said on our predictions episode that you knew that they were going to go for some sort of a weird, like non-traditional song. You had a feeling. They they always (laughs) seem to do it, whether it's something like this or a Jay Ralph song whenever he's in competition. They just have their own quirky way of doing things in the music branch. And I thought they were going to take out all the stars. I thought that was going to be like the song from uh, Furious 7, See You Again. Mm-hmm. But they ended up putting that in and taking out the Dolly Parton song from Dumplin'. Well, instead, we've got a Pulitzer Prize winner and Oscar nominee Kendrick Lamar. So and Trust me, I'm thrilled about that. I just didn't <laughs> think the campaign was going to pay off the same way Dolly Parton's was working. You know, I, I had a I, – once I heard – because I haven't seen the movie. But once I heard that the song was not featured prominently within the movie and that it was like less than 30 seconds, I started to say to myself like that's going to get nominated just based on the campaign alone and no – like actual work to show for it in terms of when they sit down to actually watch the movie. That didn't make sense to me. So I was hoping for a Tom York mention for Suspiria just for the badass, you know, factor. But this is equally just as badass. This is pretty, this is pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I love this nomination. I love that song. I was very skeptical about it getting in, but was very hopeful that it would at the same time. And I'm very, very happy that it's in. Just going to say the fact that it ended up with three nominations is pretty significant. And that one of them was adapted screenplay, which we'll get to later. I mean, that's a really big deal. I I think it's definitely two things at play. I think it's the Netflix machine because they pulled out more ads this year, spent more money than any studio. Maybe, maybe even all the studios combined. I, I don't know, but they had money to burn. That's for sure. And they were making sure to get the word out there on everything. The second factor is I think we just got to conclude that the Coen brothers are basically Academy royalty at this point. It depends when. Like you would think Hail Caesar if they got in. But but Hail Caesar uh, did get a nomination. Why didn't No Dames get in? I'm saying they don't pull a donut anymore, it seems like, with their movies. Oh, they'll get like at least one or two, you're saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like, like it's it's going to be basically like, here's the way we got to look at the Coen brothers now. We got to look at the Coen brothers like it's Martin Scorsese, where if if they have a movie coming out, we have to automatically assume it's going to be an Oscar contender until people see it, you know? <laughs> and even then, it's like... Yeah, just don't write it off. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. they might end up in original song. <laughs> Industry people will always like it. Yeah, because they're the Coens. They're outsiders, they're cool, they're hip, and they don't try to be. And that's what makes them so awesome. (laughs) Best original score. We knew something had to give here. Black Klansman, Black Panther, If Beale Street Could Talk, Isle of Dogs, Mary Poppins Returns. On his birthday, of all days, Justin Hurwitz does not get a nomination for First Man. Big bummer. I, I think this was probably the most shocking thing of the day. Yeah. It was shocking, but Will had said something a couple yeah. weeks ago where the music branch wasn't crazy in love with it. Which is weird because when I first saw the movie, and I don't know if you all remember me saying this on the podcast review, but I commented on how I thought the music was weird. And it, I just didn't feel like it did fit sometimes with the movie. But when it started getting like you know as much acclaim as it was, and I started realizing, oh, it's probably going to be nominated for the Oscar. Hell, it might even win. I went back and re-listened to it, and I have to say, it gets now a tremendous amount of play from me, and it's really, really grown on me to the point that I might even say I like it more than if Beale Street could talk at this point. I'm not sure. I go back and forth every single day. First Man's score was like, I, I was like, if it's going to get in anywhere, it's going to get in there. 
I remember on the Vice episode, we talked about Vice getting in for score. And I was like, if Vice gets in above first man, I'm going to cry. And <laughs> neither of them got in. So I don't have to cry. But um, but Nicholas Bertel did get a nomination for If Beale Street Could Talk, which, remember, right. he didn't get the Golden Globe nomination. And that kind of scared the living bejesus, I know, out of a lot of us. And then they flip-flopped. And Justin Hurwitz didn't get a BAFTA nomination where Nicholas Bertel did. And I think we all just kind of assumed that they were both going to be safe. Mm-hmm. Well, First Man had the Globe and Critics' Choice to its name. It was As really a win, yeah. That had those kind of major wins behind it. That's what made it feel like it was even more safe than Beale Street, to be honest. That, that's one of the yeah. things, too, that's uh, going to be a running theme. And uh, we kind of already touched upon it maybe a little bit earlier with Black Panther and visual effects. There's been a lot of winners and the precursors leading up to today that are not here. Forget about being nominated and losing in the end. They are just not here. And that's something that now, when we go to do our final predictions to predict winners, we're going to have to go based off of a lot of other factors other than just, okay, this won the Globe. Okay, this won the Guild. Okay, this won... You know what I mean? Like, it's going to (laughs) be... I'm dreading trying to predict some of these categories. That's what makes it interesting, though. What's another really cool thing here? Terrence Blanchard? Oscar nominee yep. Terrence Blanchard. That's finally. That was really awesome. I think Mark Shaman still has a shot of winning, honestly. I don't know. We'll see if he wins BAFTA. I, I, it might just be a gut feeling, but he's been around for a very long time. He has everything for an EGOT except the Oscar. And, you know, if there's no heavy competition with the best picture front runner, I don't know if Black Panther or Black Clansman will take it. You know, this could be his shot. Isle of Dogs. Once again, we were talking about Academy Royalty before. Um, Alexandra Desplat. It just maybe he's the new John Williams. <laughs> every year he comes out with a score, and every year it gets nominated. <laughs> Friend of the pod, Alexandra Desplat. Oh yeah, correction. Must not forget the Isle of Dogs score. I think is really good though, so I'm very happy that he did manage to get a nomination for it. I love I love that score. Absolutely. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling. <laughs> We said you could throw darts at a board, and nobody was uh, kidding. I don't even... Did anybody go three for three? I, I need to know. <laughs> I went two for three, which I'm happy with, considering. I went one for three. <laughs> did, anybody go, did anybody go 0 for three? And I had Stan and Ollie. That was the one I missed on. Oh, okay. Uh, so we have Border, Mary Queen of Scots, and Vice, the Critics' Choice winner and Best Picture nominee. Good for Mary Queen of Scots. Oh, well, considering also, too, the word was that they didn't even show up to their bake-off. I know, so that means that it must have just been all on merit from the movie, not some fancy presentation. Which is definitely saying something. I I think I breathed a collective sigh of relief, and maybe all of us did, when Bohemian Rhapsody did not show up here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was pretty (laughs) pleased by that. Um, With um, with makeup and and costume design, I think you can always guarantee there's going to be a British period drama in there somewhere. You think so? Yeah, every year. Hmm. I don't know. The only thing I just don't like about this uh, category this year is the vice makeup reminds me too much of Darkest Hour, and I just want a little bit of variety. Well, yeah, but that's exactly why it's going to win. <laughs> oh, it has to win. That's like the lock. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think the makeup in Vice was particularly good outside of Christian Bale. I thought, you know, Sam Rockwell looked terrible as W and all these other people. Just It was too distracting for me. But if we're just basing it on... Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, I guess I could give it the win just for that. And, and bravo to Border for making it in. Yeah. Which was, 
the one contender that we were all, for some reason, pretty certain was going to get in. <laughs> because this branch has a thing for foreign contenders. They did it with uh, the 100-year-old man who climbed out the window, or whatever the movie was called. Mm-hmm. And a man called uh, Ova from a couple years ago. So, yeah. I mean, that that's just... I, the trend continues. Oh, my God. Speaking of trends continuing, let's talk about trends not continuing. Let's talk about the clusterfuck that is best film editing. (laughs) Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, and Vice. Does anyone remember a couple weeks back when I said the only lock here was A Star is Born? I do remember you saying that, and I... I didn't honestly the only thing I thought for sure was a lock was first man and it who didn't get nominated (laughs) when I saw first man missed film editing that was a sign that it was all ending oh yeah Uh, it's Oscar run or or the world itself I'm I'm still unsure (laughs) Uh, but yeah looking at this I'm just like I I don't know (laughs) like I mean, let's put it this way. I, I think it can only be Klansman, Bohemian, or Vice that wins this at this point. Yeah. But I tell you, the thing that scared me the most was when... It, it, like, seriously, I, I, I like, I'm asking this out loud right now. Does anybody really think Green Book had better editing than First Man? No, it's not better. I mean, it's fine editing. It's not like it's some horrifically choppy thing, but it is not in any way, shape, or form one of the five best edited films of the year. I'm so glad I said what I said on the Vice podcast about how this is going to get nominated for editing, not because the editing is good, but because the edits, the editing is noticeable. Oh, yeah. And I feel like it's going to win. <laughs> and Celia, yeah, I hate to burst your too. bubble. I yeah. still think it's good, and I still think it's going to win. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I think you're wrong. And a lot of people also think you're wrong. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I really think, and I don't know. Hey, you know what? I figured now's a good time for me to ask the question because I was the only person on the show who would consider himself a fan of Vice. After it's showing today, getting eight nominations, I have to ask all of you, do you think Vice deserves a rewatch from you? A reconsideration, if you will. No. 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 But okay, then how do you explain the eight nominations? Because that's that's overperforming, even beyond what we thought. The way that I explain it is that it is a polarizing film. And polarizing movies means that for every person that hates it, you have people that love it. And that kind of passion is what helps you in the nomination phase. So yeah, it did overperform. But it also is a signal to me that those who liked it just tended to really, really like it. I think we have yet to see evidence that that movie is going to really have a consensus around mm-hmm. it. I think that's what's going to doom that film. And no, I, I mean, personally, I don't need to watch it again to recontextualize anything that I saw from that film. I kind of felt like I got all I needed to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I I knew it would be largely nominated, but... There's always a movie every single year that gets a lot of nominations and wins none of them. <laughs> I hate I to, think... well, I hate to say this, but Vice stands a chance to win actor, supporting actress, makeup, and editing. No, yeah, I think it'll mm-hmm. win actor, and I think it'll win makeup, and it will probably win supporting actress. I don't think it's going to win the other five, though. But still, that's a lot of wins, don't you think? 
for a movie that's widely criticized and hated by so many people? I knew that the acting was good and I knew that the makeup was good, but the rest of it wasn't. So like these categories that's being nominated in doesn't surprise me, but I don't think they're going to win. So I'll use this as the example to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody and Green Book and Vice then. Um, we clearly, I think, saw this year an example of films that, especially on film Twitter, people were very, very vocal in their displeasure with. And it just seems to me that like the Academy, the industry, forget about the Academy, just the industry in general, just dig their heels in and said, you're not going to tell us how to think. We like these movies and we're the ones that make them. And good for them. Like no one should be able to sway anyone in thinking differently than the way that their mind works. I mean, that's just how people function. But yeah, we're, we're seeing where people are not afraid to vote the way that their mind tells them to. Yeah, and, and we just provide an alternative voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the idea that like it's wrong, right, like I'll, I'll, I'll give another example of this. I think, the, I think the acting in Green Book is phenomenal. Do I think that it deserved to be nominated for best film editing or screenplay? Hell no. But I can totally understand the argument why it would be there and why somebody would vote for it anyway mm-hmm. especially you know when we're talking coattail nominations we saw this last year with three billboards getting like a best film editing nomination we were all like wait what mm-hmm. well this year it's green book yeah yep. right yeah no this happens this happens every year nobody's surprised oh i, I was surprised at what it would it be controversial ones the controversial ones get in best cinematography cold war the favorite never look away roma and a star is born in terms of inclusions, not snubs, but just movies that just got in, what? Yeah. If I had done my homework, I would have come close to predicting that because it was Caleb Deschanel. Well, why didn't you do your homework, Michael? I have to ask you now. It just did not even occur to me there. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy, and I haven't seen the movie, and I feel like I, I, I'm like I'm genuinely upset that I have not seen this movie yet. <laughs> Has there ever been a year where English language movies were in the minority? Yes, I heard this today on a podcast that it has happened before, and I'm blanking on what it was. But was it 2004? I'm going to Google that right now. Speak amongst yourselves for a bit. Well, while you're looking that up, the question I want to ask myself, and with this nomination as possible evidence, is this an example of the newer demographic of the Academy? looking towards more, you know, outside, like, you know, for, foreign cinema, looking at foreign cinema as a place to crack some of these nomination lineups and not treating it just exclusively to American film. I think it could be. I mean, we have Cold War here. We have Roma and Never Look Away all nominated for Best Cinematography. I mean, think about it from this perspective. We are, we're people that talk about awards 365 days a year on this show, on the blog, on Twitter, with each other. I swear to you, by the seven, I promise you, I never, not once, in MPP or on film Twitter or anywhere else did I ever see anyone say, never look away for best cinematography. Mm-hmm. And you know what that just says to me? That says to me either... Either not enough people voted and just the right amount voted enough to get it in there, or 
there really is some sort of a change where people are really taking this stuff seriously and looking like they probably popped in that screener for the foreign language film category and said to themselves, wow, like that's amazing visuals. I'm going to put that in. Or what? they're just good friends with Caleb Deschanel and like to nominate their friends. But, but, but okay. But my question in regards to that then, Michael, is like how many people is that really? No, well, it's just well, wait, the cinematographer's wait, wait. branch. Wait, what was snubbed? First Man or Beale Street, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. So is there a possibility that like just the overwhelming majority really liked Roma, The Favorite, and Star is Born, and then the other two got in on like barely a majority, like barely above the other options? I would say there was love probably for the other four. And this, I, I mean, it's clear that Beale Street and First Man love was just not there. Yeah. yeah. So if those two were never real contenders, because even though they, you know, maybe deserved it based on their merit, but like we knew the Academy wasn't into them. Isn't there just a big possibility that 90% of people voted for the, you know, just throwing out numbers, 90% of people voted for those four and then never look away, just got barely enough to get in just as like a fifth, just to slot it in because there's space. I don't know if they do it differently in each branch. So I don't know if this is one where they just pick their favorite and they just list one or they rank them from a one to five. Because that's the thing I, that's the thing that we got to remember is that it's not it's not the whole academy. It's just right. the, yeah, it's the branch. The question. It's just I don't know the exact yeah. answer of how they do it here. By the way, in terms of foreign films in the category, it was 2004 where you had three foreign language films nominated for cinematography. House of Flying Daggers, Passion of the Christ, which is also Caleb Deschanel and A Very Long Engagement. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I, you know, the only thing, I, I wish I had the breakdown because I know there is a breakdown of how many members are in each branch. Um, uh, I wish I just had that in front of me right now. Maybe I'll look that up. By the way, Matt, three years ago, or yeah, three years ago now, uh, I was actually predicting very early on in the season that Caleb Deschanel would be nominated. I knew you were going to bring this up. I just knew you were going to bring this up. Because he's a branch favorite. He hasn't been nominated since 04, but the types of movies he's, he's been working on haven't really been Oscar contenders. So when he goes back to do something like this, it's no surprise that he's going to get some recognition. I appreciate you saying that Rules Don't Apply is not an Oscar contender. At least at, at least three years later, you're learning, Michael. It was very, very, very early on. We don't have to talk about that Steve Mnuchin film anymore, though. <laughs> Best costume design. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs shows up again. Uh, probably for the Potts costume, because that was freaking awesome. Mary's Ofries. Uh, hey. Black Panther, the favorite. Mary Poppins Returns, Mary Queen of Scots. Did anybody predict Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Michael? Yes, I did. Man, Michael, you went to bat for this movie. I just knew there was that one open slot in costume design, and we were talking the other day on the podcast that it could be Colleen Atwood for Fantastic Beasts, it could be Crazy Rich Asians, it could be a number of, it could be Bohemian Rhapsody. I really I thought it was going to be Bohemian. Predict Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, the fact that Bohemian uh, did not get into costume design and did not get into makeup, I was starting to like breathe a sigh of relief and then it showed up like in sound editing and you know, the rest is history. I but. just got this feeling that, you know, the love for Mary Zofries, she was nominated for La La Land, a few other Coen Brothers films, you know, she's a, another branch favorite that would push her over the top. And sure enough, that was the first nominee in the category. And I'm surprised he didn't hear me shout yes, because that was just a great, great moment. Anyone else have any comments on costume design? I'm just happy that uh, Black Panther's in. I'm really, really me looking too. for 
uh, Ruth Carter. And, you know, it's very interesting because, and spoiler alert, uh, since both that and The Favorite are Best Picture nominees, it's going to be a real showdown between mm-hmm. those two in both costume design and production design, I think. Yeah. This is another category for me, like production design, where any of them could win, and I'd say, sure. <laughs> Best foreign language film. We have Capernaum, Cold War, Never Look Away, Roma, Shoplifters. I should I should have stayed with Never Look Away, and I went with Burning like an idiot. <laughs> I went five for five here. I know. Yeah. <sighs> so here's the thing. Because I've if, seen them, and these are really five terrific choices. And a few days ago, Oprah went on Instagram and was really singing praise for Capernaum. Has anyone here seen it other than myself, no, Josh, and uh, Tom? It's not in Seattle yet. Mm. It's really good. We just got Cold War like last weekend, so. Um. I, I actually want to ask uh, the guy that's over in the UK if he's still awake with us. Uh, Liam, have you seen any of the foreign language film contenders out there? Uh, no, I haven't. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, isn't like Cold War like playing over there? Isn't it like a big hit? Um, it got a very small theatrical re- release around the time that uh, it was shown at the uh, London Film Festival. Um, but there wasn't really like the, the they weren't really heavy on the, the publicity for that to, mm. to press industry. Um, but it didn't really hit with um, with general public. Well, at least you got Roma on Netflix, right? If Roma wins Best Picture, it won't win this. No, it's no. It's probably going to win here because the Academy at large is voting. Okay. So this seems like a place where it's sort of a given. And to be honest with you, I'm leaning towards a world where it wins this and it doesn't win picture, to be honest with you. You think, you think it'll mm-hmm. win both? I think That's it wins surprising. both. Because I feel like if the entire Academy votes in both categories, it's surprising they would want to do the same for both. Well, you have to remember that the best picture is a preferential ballot. So they're not yeah, putting it true. as... Every other category is just a popular vote. That's true. That's true. Best documentary feature. This one hurts. Ouch. Yikes. Yeah, that was rough. Free Solo. Hail County this morning, this evening. Mining the Gap. Of Fathers and Sons. RBG. And none of them wanted to be neighbors with Won't You Be My Neighbor. So here's the theory here. This branch apparently does not like biography documentaries and this is what happened with jane last year not that that was a full-on biography but it was about a person it was a portrait they did an rbg i was gonna say how do you explain that that? that's what i was getting to they didn't like life itself a couple years ago the roger ebert one the only one they've really gone for recently was amy and i think with rbg if the news cycle of the past month had been different i don't think rbg would get in but the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been in the headlines every single day since late December, I think that was enough to push it in and for them to break their own rule. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I agree. Makes sense. There was a great tweet I saw today. Someone on Twitter posted, I'm certain that Mr. Rogers snub was orchestrated by Lady Lane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little hurt that three identical strangers did not get in here. I really genuinely loved that documentary. I didn't predict that because, again, it's that thing of really interesting story, but does the branch consider it a really well-made documentary? And and that's the thing, too, uh, you know, because there's... Uh, it's funny because the the comments on Won't You Be My Neighbor uh, for almost all season has been, it's a good movie, it makes you feel great, it's got a great message, but it's not 
like like for me outside of its message and i'm just speaking for myself here it, it, it like wasn't made in such a way that like i felt like it was something wholly unique once again it was like a, it was like you said michael it was a biopic documentary that had a great message left you on a high and definitely the kind of film that would make you you know make the world a better place but yeah, to to this branch, that's just that's just not enough. They're looking for auteur filmmaking. It seems like a lot of the times. I think recently, especially because like Hale County this morning, this evening is a very uh, like experimental kind of documentary, and I was actually very surprised that that managed to to make the cut. It's a very interesting movie, but it is a very non traditional way of doing a documentary. <laughs> I, I just want to know really quickly, what does everyone think wins here now, now that the front runner is gone? RBG or Free Solo? And I think, again, the news of RBG is going to push this over the top. Do you think she'll attend the Oscars? I don't want her to attend the no. Oscars. No. I just want to wrap the just, woman in bubble wrap and keep her in DC. Yeah. Really, stay, just at her stay, stay at home, stay mm. in bed, do whatever you got to do. She could pull in Michelle Obama and like present Best Picture. That would be cool. I'd be down for that. That would the world would end, but <laughs> yeah. But I I do think it is between Free Solo and RBG. RBG for the like, you know, the current events thing, and Free Solo is just so critically acclaimed, just so critically acclaimed. And you talk about filmmaking behind that one; it's so impressive. It boggled my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's between those two. I'm leaning towards Free Solo right now, but I think it's close between them and. I'm just happy that Money the Gap made it in. I was so scared that it was going to not make the cut, and I'm so happy it did because I love, love, love that movie. Yeah, I thought of you when that happened, Josh. I was very happy that you got that. Speaking of being happy that stuff made the cut, Best Animated Feature, Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and the future Academy Award winner for Best Animated Feature Film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. One quick thing before we dive in here, just to go back to documentary for half a second. Oh, my transition make, was so good. I know it was so good. It was so good. But just one quick thing. I, I always make this joke in documentary. You're you're cutting this off for a joke? <laughs> no, no, it's not a joke. It's not a joke. Listen, they All have right. this thing where they always go for like this on the ground expose, like cartel land or something really shocking. Yeah. And when a fathers and sons got in today, it was like, oh, what's this movie? And the synopsis. A man returns to his homeland where he gains the trust of his radical Islamist family. So there you go. <laughs> they always go for that they one always really get the one. shocking Checks journalist expose piece. But yeah, Spider-Man is going to win, right? Like it's got to win. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. if there's a yeah. god. I have no doubt. It, it, it overcame a huge hurdle by winning the Globe. And once it did that, it's got Critics' Choice. It's got PGA. I, I can't see a world where it loses. I really can't. It, the nomination bummer. was the hurdle. It's a yeah. bummer for the others, like Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Ralph Breaks the Internet. I heard, I never saw it, but I heard it was really good. Bummer that you came out in a year where Spider-Man just had to come out in December and ruin it for everybody <laughs> What else. is it for Wes Anderson, who starts the year off in March thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get my Oscar. I'm in a Scott Rudin production again. Don't really have any real competition. Pixar hasn't won for a sequel. And he's pretty much coasting the whole year. And then here comes Spider-Man at the end of the year. <laughs> and this is seventh. <laughs> His seventh nomination. Oh, is it really? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Him and Cooper could be roommates. Yeah. <laughs> Bradley true. Cooper needs to be in the new Wes Anderson movie. There you go. That's when it'll happen. Speaking of Bradley Cooper and his film, Best Adapted Screenplay, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Klansman, Can You Ever Forgive Me, If Beale Street Could Talk, and, oh, there's Bradley, A Star is Born. 
so Matt and I went on uh, like full on Thelma and Louise going off the cliff with Leave No Trace. We really did. <laughs> no guts, no glory. And I, I predicted it to get three nominations. Anywhere, if it was safe anywhere, it would be an adept screenplay. With a scripter, with did it get WGA? Was it eligible there? It was, was not it eligible? eligible for WGA. Okay, well then that doesn't matter that it didn't get in there. Uh, but still, we just thought that this looked like something. It had been around since Sundance, still 100% of Rotten Tomatoes, did fairly well at the box office. And then it didn't. Instead, we got the Coen brothers. It reminds me of when True Grit came out and it just took nominations away from other movies that year. I remembered the Coen brothers are royalty, like I said before. And uh, if they have a movie that's received rather well, and especially if they've got the PR machine of uh, Netflix behind it running its marketing and such. It's not just that. It's also Lisa Tabak at Netflix, who I would not be surprised to learn that she orchestrated this. To at the last minute move it from original screenplay to adapted screenplay, which was super right smart. Was starting, brilliant. We, we've seen that happen before too. With uh, Whiplash, I remember did that. Right, and it managed to get a nomination as a result. So, otherwise, the other four expected. Uh, although to be honest with you, I, I, I have to say, like, with the day that A Star Is Born had uh, missing. Film editing and another nomination we'll get to in a little bit. I, I'm, I'm surprised it managed to hold on here, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I thought if it was going to miss anywhere, it would be here. Yeah. Me too. I thought this was by far the weakest category, but it managed to still make the cut. I found that to be very surprising. But again, you talk about branch favorites. It's not just Bradley Cooper. It's Eric Roth. Yeah, and that was the reason why I eventually put it back into my predictions, because it was Eric Roth, and they, they do love him. But how cool that Nicole Holofcener is now an Oscar nominee. Oh, I love it. So happy. That screenplay is so great. American auteurs working today. So even though it's not a director nomination, I'll still take it for the writing because, you know, go back to Please Give and Enough Said and all her television work that she's received Emmy love for, I'm sure. You know, this is just really, really nice to see her at the Oscars. Also with Jeff Woody, who wrote the book to Avenue Q years ago and won a Tony for it. Best original screenplay. The favorite... First Reformed, Green Book, Roma, and Vice. Well, it's funny you should mention this, because as you read that list, Matt, we have some breaking news from the world of Oscar. Okay. That Paul Schrader has responded to his first ever Oscar nomination. Would you like to hear what he has to say? I'm a little scared. Paul Schrader says, This is a very difficult conversation, because I have never really respected the Academy for their choices. <laughs> oh my god on the other hand I'm enormously gratified that they have selected me <laughs> wow I have the biggest smile and my mouth is like wide open and my hands like over my mouth right now watch in two days we're gonna get this alone, <laughs> yet not alone controversy where they revoke the nomination and Bo Burnham gets it or something that is so perfect <laughs> that's so very true to response you know what like I have to say and listen I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like defend this but he he's the very definition of like an old man set in his ways and he just doesn't give a fuck <laughs> you know there, there is a certain especially like when i listen to him like in q and a's uh when he's like actually talking about the process of filmmaking and he's talking about the craft of writing um you could those are the times when i really respect him Otherwise, he just seems like the guy that just hangs out on his front porch in his rocking chair with a shotgun, like, ready to just... <laughs> oh, man. 
I have to say, too, and I know I agonized over this so much, um, when First Reformed won at Critics' Choice for screenplay, I had mentioned that uh, no screenplay winner at Critics' Choice has ever, at least, like, has ever missed a nomination. It just never happened. And yes, Eighth Grade did get that WGA nomination. And yes, I am actually very, very saddened to see it miss here. And yes, I know Paul Strader is not everyone's favorite person right now. But as a student and lover of history, Paul Schrader has given us Taxi Driver. He's given us Raging Bull. He didn't get nominations for those. And as he's in his 70s, you know, more closer to the end than he is to the beginning, I'm happy that at least he has Academy Award nominee Paul Schrader on his name. That's, you know, win or lose, I just, I you know, that's my piece. Yeah. Yeah. And even after it won at Critics' Choice, you know, I know he had that, and there was the stat and everything. But still, we didn't think that old man Schrader was going to take it over Bo Burnham, who was like a puppy on the campaign trail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they campaigned the hell out of it. You know what I think? I, I, I think Bo Burnham has, as someone who is new onto the scene, is still extremely young and made a film as good as 8th Grade. Um, I remain extremely optimistic and hopeful that we have not seen the last of him in the awards conversation. Oh, no. I mean, no, he's not going to quit filmmaking after this. But, like, it is very surprising the near unanimous love for that movie, especially that screenplay. But this, but this had unanimous, pretty much unanimous love too. Uh, it was no, a nail, no, it was a nail I'm biter. First, I'm not saying first reform didn't deserve to be in it. I'm just saying I'm surprised eighth grade got snubbed, especially over something like Green Book. Well, <laughs> so let me just uh, take a moment to just say for the record, uh, because we have not had a chance to comment on this yet. Green Book won the PGA this weekend. Yeah, it did. And Green Book is nominated for Best Picture and got the other expected nominations for Vigo, Ali, the screenplay. And I don't care what anybody says, I always was 100% confident that Peter Farrelly was never going to get that director nomination. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I know people started getting a little worried, but I was firm about that. That is not this branch of the Academy. They don't, no, not at all. Unless if you're like a top two or three front runner, they don't go for that subdued, normal workman-like direction. They just don't ever do it. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it gets into screenplay here, it's expected. Yeah, I have to say, guys, though, I'm not I'm not kidding when I say this. I think it stands a real, real, really good shot at winning the WGA. I do, too. I, I, I think that it is I... almost guaranteed to win WGA. Unless Yikes. if Roma can pull a moonlight and win WGA, shockingly so. Because remember, we thought it was going to be La La Land or Manchester at WGA? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. If Roma can win WGA, that to me is the sign that it would definitely be winning Best Picture. But I still think that Green Book, despite its controversies, has still a lot of support. And I think that's one of the things that going forward we need to remember is that even though there are people that are detractors of that film – might not be in the numbers that we think they are. And it's still a very popular movie. (laughs) But one one thing about the uh, uh, WGA voting population, you have to be an active member in order to uh, vote in these awards. Uh, I belong to the WGA, but I haven't had anything produced in years. So I I can share from the sidelines, but I can't vote. So a lot of the older demographic that can vote in the Academy Awards 
is very different than the WGA voters. So looking at yeah. winners from this century, I had a cutoff of 2000. We have seen winners, uh, not just racially controversial, but I'll say controversial in general, because it's sort of tough for a really controversial movie to succeed. We have seen uh, Crash win the WGA. And in 2002, this is sort of surprising, Bowling for Columbine won the WGA for original mm. screenplay. Interesting. So They go their own way. They definitely do. Yeah, I'll be curious to see. I, I've seen some of the pages of that of Green Book screenplay and well, you've seen the movie too. Well, no, but but there's something about seeing it written on a page like a script that just makes it so difficult. <laughs> Apparently, someone was saying they looked at a few pages and within like the first 20 minutes of it, it was uh, saying like Tony stuffs his face, and yeah. someone else posted a picture of they got a copy of the Green Book screenplay, and it was a like a bound book, but it was the color of the book was blue. So that oh was a lost God. opportunity right there. Such a lost <laughs> opportunity. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I, 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 I have no idea. I really feel like the WGA probably won't reward it, which will help. But no, they're we'll going to do it. Assume the worst. I it, guess it's going to win there. That's the that's the motto of this season. I hate I hate living in cynicism like all of you, but that's no. Nope. Get used to it. It's award season. Oh, yeah, I try to be optimistic. I just I, I look at the outlook of this and it just doesn't seem like it's going to go to anything else there's just four very good options they don't care they think green book's a good option uh thank you for admitting that vice is a good option by the way i mean if it was screenplay i wouldn't be mad i thought it was a well enough written movie best supporting actress amy adams for vice marina de tavira for roma regina king for if beale street could talk emma stone for the favorite rachel vice for the favorite this was the first category they announced this morning, and I had everything all set up on my laptop. Everything was alphabetical, and they go Amy Adams, and I'm thinking, okay, off to a normal start. And then they go Marina de Tavera, and I went, whoa, this is going to throw us for a loop this morning. And then thank God they mentioned King next because I would have thrown something probably. Uh, listen, I I am. This is the kind of stuff that I live for. Marina uh, Marina de Tavera was not mentioned. It, but if, if like I don't even know, maybe by some obscure critics group somewhere, she got one. It was like the Society of I think it was like Mexican film journalists, something like that. Exactly, like it, basically not a factor at all all season. I don't know if you all feel it, but you all must have felt right away that the love for Roma has to be severely strong. Yeah. If they are putting her in this category, I mean, yeah. that's they 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 watch this movie, they connect with this movie. You have to believe that because she hasn't been at any of the other uh, shows other than as a presenter or at the table for the film representing the film. Right, and she has been mentioned in all the speeches that Alfonso Cuarón has delivered. He brings her up on stage sometimes. She's very well known in Mexico. You know, she's been working this behind the scenes. And it's a good performance. If there's any evidence that it could win Best Picture and Best Foreign Film, it's the fact that she was nominated. Yeah, because that was, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Let me. Was anyone here not surprised? I, I think we were all surprised. I was, oh, yeah. yes I and no. I, well, I didn't have her in my five or even ten, 
But at the same time, I frankly was surprised that she wasn't mentioned more leading up to the Oscars because yeah. I saw the movie. It just seemed like a really baity supporting performance. Mm-hmm. And I thought she would for sure get some critics mentions and maybe even a Globe or SAG nomination. So the fact that she didn't, you know, it just simmered those hopes. But then when I saw it today, I'm like, you know what? That makes sense if they watch yeah. the movie. Yeah, it makes right. a lot of sense. In and they love the movie. That's that's the thing I keep coming back to. Like, to dig deep like that, even though she wasn't mentioned at Critics' Choice, BAFTA, SAG, or Golden Globe, and have her be nominated here, that love must run deep for that movie. It has to. And she has a lot of Oscar scenes. She has the one at yeah. the dinner or at the table, and then the one with the slap. You know, mm-hmm. talking about there. And then the beach. Yeah, of course. It's a pretty showy performance. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was I was ecstatic. I, I was I, I was equally ecstatic that Regina King made the cut uh, because I know that it wasn't necessarily something that we were all predicting. I know we were all predicting her to get in, but just in the back of my mind, I was a little I was a little scared. Yeah. yeah. The only thing now though is she is the only nominee in this category not in a Best Picture nominee, and that makes me nervous. Very much so. Uh, that's a conversation for another time. Yes, yes. So Marina De Tavira gets a Best Supporting Actress Oscar nomination without having landed at Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, BAFTA, or SAG, where somebody who did land at Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, BAFTA, and SAG joins an illustrious group of actors, a small list, might I add, too, of actors that have landed at those and have failed to convert those into an Oscar nomination. The last person in Best Supporting Actor to miss out was Daniel Bruhl for Rush in 2013 and suffering a very similar fate here where both of those films have zero nominations. Timothy Chalamet in Beautiful Boy uh, was the mm-hmm. unlucky one this year. Uh, and you know what? After so much crossover this year with all four of those groups, somebody, like, I knew I knew that somebody was going to miss somewhere. Yeah. Whether we talked about being McCarthy, we talked about it being uh, Chalamet. Hell, I even considered it might be Vigo, to be honest with you all. You and I both predicted that Chalamet wouldn't get in here, Matt. Yeah, and we thought he was going to get in for Michael B. Jordan, but this is who got in instead. Uh, I, I could just sense that it wasn't going to happen for Chalamet because no one seemed to like that movie. And even though he's popular, still, you have to have some respect for what's going on in the film. Mahershal Ali for Green Book, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Sam Elliott for A Star is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Liam, you do the honors. Yeah, Sam Rockwell for Vice. (sighs) Bad choice. Bad choice. Why? Oh, God. And, And you know what? I have to say, I am one of the biggest Sam Rockwell fans around. He is one of my favorite actors. Even when film Twitter was dogging on three billboards last year, I was cheering for him, rooting for him to win. Me too. In Vice, he is actively terrible. He is so bad in this movie, and it makes me sad to say that. I don't like being in a position of hating an Oscar nomination for Sam Rockwell, but he is so terrible in this film, and it makes me upset that this awful impersonation that he's doing takes up a spot from so many other great, deserving, supporting actors from the previous year. And that nomination, by far, is the one that I am most upset with out of all of these uh, on the list. It's one of the worst nominations I can recall in years. Uh, it's it's. I think if I go back and I look over everything... I look over from 2010, hell, maybe I'll even go so far back as 2000. It might be my least favorite Best Supporting Actor nomination 
quite possibly. Wow. It's not good. No, I mean, Will Ferrell on SNL was much better in the role. Absolutely. Yeah, and Josh Terrell, to be honest. I just, and and, okay, so now I said it before from Marina de Tavira. I'll say it now for this. The Academy really loved Vice. Uh, like, like really loved it because those that really loved it, I, I, and you could say it's also Sam Rockwell love, but explain to me how it took Sam Rockwell so many years to just get his first nomination for billboards. And then the next year he gets another nomination for a role that's, you know, regardless of what you even think of three billboards as a movie is nowhere close to what he does in three billboards. I, well, I for think... years, Sam Rockwell was just looking for the right meaty role and he got that yeah. in three billboards. So this is I... like the afterglow, which we see all the time. Plus, but... plus I think don't doesn't everybody like Sam Rockwell? Doesn't everybody talk about how great he is and how nice he is and how much? They oh, like absolutely. Him? Everybody loves him. So like if they're of course, if somebody is putting Vice down for a bunch of stuff, they're going to be like, oh, and I also like Sam, and he's also in that movie that's everybody is paying attention to, so I'll put him down, too. I mean, no, I get that that's the mentality, but... It... Well, another thing that you can also maybe point to is you look at his previous nominations from the Globes and from BAFTA, those are the organizations that have a large foreign contingent to them. And I think that if you throw in the Afterglow nomination, there's also probably people from other countries who look at that performance and think, oh, yeah, he's just doing the stupid George Bush. We like we love to laugh at him. Yeah, let's just throw him in because we like to laugh at the uh, the stupid American president. I, I, I want to just say for the record that I blame Liam Heffernan because Liam, you were the only one on the team to predict him. And deep down, I feel like you, 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 I just feel like you know something. Like, you know something about this that we all don't know. And, like, there's, I don't, I don't get it. Like, how did you know this was going to happen? Do you know what? I think it's because I'm the only person out of all of us who hasn't seen Vice. And- <laughs> so you have a bias against it yet? <laughs> it, it doesn't come out in the UK until uh, this Friday. Um, and I was purely going on the fact that, that people love him from last year. There's always a bit of a lag for support um, for, for actors that win the previous year or two. Look at like Christoph Waltz, for instance. So I just thought, why not? I'll have a gamble. I, 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 you know what? I don't need any other explanation than that. That, that right there. Have a gamble. I think that's <laughs> all right. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's how like the Academy members just voted. They maybe they didn't even see Vice, and they just were like, I like these people. Uh, you know, let's let's have a gamble. <laughs> let's see what happens. In two years from now, we're going to look back on this and go, Oh, we should have seen it coming. He got a Globe nomination. He got BAFTA. Why didn't we predict predict that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's the same path that Christopher Plummer had last year. Yeah, but that had a narrative behind it where this narrative was, oh, my God, look how great Bale and Adams are and Rockwell's just being a doofus. <laughs> Best Actress. Yelitsia Aparicio for Roma, Glenn Close for The Wife, Olivia Coleman, The Favorite, Lady Gaga, A Star is Born, Melissa McCarthy, Can You Ever Forgive Me? So Emily Blunt actually made history here. You know how? I'm sure it has something to do with her not getting a nomination. Oh, yes, it does. She joins Helen Mirren as the second person to receive two SAG nominations in a given year and not have either of them transition over to Oscar. I'm not surprised. I saw this coming when I learned that there were parties going on for you. Let's uh, uh, Will went to the one that Charlize Theron and Diego Luna hosted last week. Mm-hmm. 
So just hearing how she was out and about on the campaign trail, you know, making the rounds, making friends, talking to all the right people. She had the cover of The Hollywood Reporter last week. It, it just became apparent that she was going to get that slot. I, I said it last week. I knew in my brain. Like, I knew. I, it, was, it was apparent. This was definitely more apparent than Marina, for sure. I am, I, I am incredibly proud. I am incredibly, incredibly proud. And I have zero regrets for sticking with Tony Collette for 365 days since I last saw her at Sundance last year. Like, I have no regrets in predicting her all season long on the Critics' Trail, at Critics' Choice, at Golden Globe, SAG, everywhere. I, I, I am totally okay with it. You know, because also, did you all see Yalitzia's uh, live reaction yeah, to the announcement? Adorable. How can you not love this woman? And ah, oh, that that's the kind of stuff right there that this that this can do sometimes, right? It it can it can just make a star like overnight. And we saw that happen with Lupita Nyong'o for Twelve Years a Slave, and to see Yalitzia like just emerge uh, from this movie with this movie as a new face and as and she gives such a really really phenomenal performance in it i mean ah it's such a great mm-hmm. story yeah and caron has again just like he did with marina has been bringing her to everything has thanked her in every single speech and she just has such a great narrative this preschool teacher who had never acted before is picked up by alfonso caron and given this opportunity she didn't know how to swim so that makes her big scene at the end even more powerful now my other question is HLVD movies. Like, what happened to Emily Blunt? I know you brought it up before, Michael, but what what really, how, like, how did she miss in both categories? She was number six. I, I have no doubt about that. I think there was a lot of love for her, but it was just a matter of Yulitsia breaking in and being that one who, you know, goes above and beyond. Yes, Mary Poppins had been fading a little bit. Yes, Melissa McCarthy maybe could have missed for her, given how that film sort of factored into things, but you know, it, it just for one reason or another didn't happen. She could have been two votes away. Who knows? I mean, I, my theory is I think she split votes with herself with a quiet place. That could be, that's, that's my hunch. Maybe she'll get it. She could be one of those people that isn't nominated for so, so long. And when she finally gets the nomination, she wins on the first try. Like a Sam Rockwell. She could be the next Sam Rockwell. And I also want to say, too, because I just don't think enough people are saying this, because it's actually kind of a big deal. Lady Gaga is an Oscar nominee, everyone, for, like, actress. For yeah. yeah. She had been nominated back That's in That's awesome. And this is really interesting, too. She was nominated for Best Actress and Best Original Song. She becomes the second person in history to be nominated for both in the same year. And the first was just last year with Mary J. Blige. <sighs> She's, you know... I'm, it's it's pretty cool. It's a really cool thing to witness. She's off the deep end. Watch as she dives in. Oh, boy. Best Actor, Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody, Viggo Mortensen for Green Book. Props to Chris Tapley, who just over the weekend said Willem Dafoe could get in for this. And he predicted him, too. Yeah. yeah. And this, is, to me, is not about the film, I'm sure the performance is great. I have not seen it yet because it barely got a release. Yeah, he's good. There was no campaign because CBS Films is gone. I mean, they're, they've folded. So I think this is just a different type of afterglow, not the Sam Rockwell afterglow, but that we nominated you last year. We really wanted to give you the win last year. Here's another nomination. 
And here's a guy who's just going to keep picking up steam until he finally gets a win one of these days. I hope you're right about that. I would love to see Willem Dafoe get a win at some point. But this is not the film to do it. Uh, Last year might have been the film to do it, but it just wasn't beloved. I mean, add to his armor. Yeah, I I mean, I personally would have obviously have picked Ethan Hawke and First Reformed. (laughs) I think I I have to say, too, that after uh, First Reformed got that screenplay nomination, I started to have like this feeling of, oh, my God, maybe there's hope. But along with uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, uh, Ethan Hawke now is the actor uh, or the anything really from this season that has completely, completely swept. I mean, like huge lead over everything and everybody else in terms of just critics wins and critics mentions. And I cannot recall the last time I saw a performance that got this many critics wins like, people talk about Sally Hawkins and Happy Go Lucky. Yeah, she won L.A., National Society, and New York, but even won, like, the little critics groups, too. And it was just so many. I don't, I can't remember the last time I saw a sweep like that, and they did not at least get a nomination. Well, First Reformed, I think, was always just going to be a tough sell for the industry, and Trader made it in, but Trader's also a huge legend that had a narrative of never being nominated before. And I think that carried a lot of weight for the writers branch in particular. And Best Actor just had other contenders that they liked. And I think that when coming up against that movie was just a tough sell for a lot of people. And, and, and frankly, A24 dropped the ball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was trying to go through this entire episode without bashing them too much, but... Yes, 100%. Another really cool thing I just want to shout out, um, we have a uh, non-white actor in each one of the four acting races. So that's pretty That's pretty neat. Yeah, except who is representing it in Best Actor is not that great. But. Uh, yeah, well, once again, I would have nominated other performances, but... Nothing against him. I'm sure he's a great guy. Oh, I'm sure he is too. Absolutely. I just don't. I just don't like that movie. No. Uh, we have two more categories left, but uh, Celia, I understand you have to run. Yeah, I didn't realize this was lasting this long. So. Oh, it always yeah. lasts this long. It's Oscar time. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Celia, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter and on Letterboxd at Films Unstuck, and uh, my best picture excitement is going to be directed towards the favorite, but I anticipate it'll be Black Landsman. That'll be my contribution to the thing. All right, cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, have a good night, you guys. Thank you. Take care. Take care, Celia. Two categories left. Best director. Whew. Oh, boy. Spike Lee, Black Klansman. Powell Palakowski for Cold War. Yorgos Lanfamos for the favorite. Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. And Adam McKay for Vice. Matt, do you remember how I ended the podcast on Saturday when we were doing predictions? Uh, no. I spoke to the Oscar gods, the same Oscar gods that Will Mavity spoke to in 2010 so that the social network would lose the PGA and shift the season. And my wish to the Oscar gods was to keep things interesting and have Bradley Cooper snubbed in Best Director. Why, 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 can I ask you a question? Why are you and Will continuously doing things that just 
piss me off. Hey, I'm more concerned that they're listening to us compared to other people. <laughs> that that puts a lot of responsibility on my shoulders that I don't need right now. Oh, so, please. This is just yeah. really weird that that this happens after we will it to happen. Can I ask you this question first and foremost? Is anybody surprised? Not really, because this is what we've come to know with the director's branch in the last couple of years. They don't like actors. But they like Greta Gorwig last year. Well, well but I think especially with a Star is Born, I think, having this narrative lately of underperforming in general with these other awards, it only and not getting an editing nomination, it feels like you take that, you take the bias against actors within the director's branch, and it just feels like a recipe for Bradley Cooper not to show up there. Now imagine this for a minute, because this is exactly what happened to Ben Affleck for Argo a few years ago. The difference, though was Golden Globe and Critics' Choice. If I remember correctly, I think one of them was actually on the day of the nominations. Yes, Critics the Critics' Choice, Choice back in yeah, 2012 was, was on the day of nominations, and that's where he started his whole resurgence. Because he ended up winning Critics' Choice, mm-hmm. and his film won Best Picture. And the Golden Globes were three days later. And the same thing happened at BAFTA, and then the same thing happened at DGA, and it just became like this... And SAG... Yeah. And PGA. I mean, like, the, the the story was timed in such a way that it wrote itself. The difference here is A Star is Born didn't win at Critics' Choice. No. Didn't win at Golden Globe. So now, when Cooper... Because I guarantee you, if he had won at those, and we all started, like, kind of all group thinking, oh, wow, it's going to be A Star is Born for picture and director... And we kind of like resign ourselves to thinking like, this is it. This is what's going to win. This is what's going to take the whole thing. For it to then, for this to then happen, it would have been such a bigger shock because then our thought process of, wait, this was, this was what the season was telling us. This was the direction that we were heading in. Now you're telling me it's not like what, what's going on here. There would be much more of a similar um uh, similar uh, pattern of behavior, I think, given mm-hmm. to Bradley as it was to Ben. But in this case, it's more like, oh, well, sorry. Yeah, Argo was already on the trajectory to win Best Picture when that snub happened. So when it did happen, it only made the support around that movie just intensify, but that support was already there. A Star is Born. Only one song at the Golden Globes, it tied in Best Actress, but outside of that was only a song winner at Critics' Choice. It already kind of felt like nobody really wanted to reward the movie that much. And now seeing that it has this director snub, I don't think that's going to translate into this rallying narrative behind Bradley Cooper because there was never a narrative really for him in the first place. And that's the major problem, I think, with trying to make this argument that that can help him in, in Best Actor, I don't think that support is really there to begin with. Also, um, it's worth adding that in, never in Oscar history has a film won Best Picture without a director or editing nomination. So Cooper missing out in this has pretty much killed a star is born. <laughs> this and editing, the snubs in those two categories, it's toxic. Yeah, yeah. and, and that is to, a fatal, uh, fatal blow. To bring back a tweet from September 7th of 2018, Mark Harris wrote, I just had a flash forward to award show audiences warmly applauding Bradley Cooper for being such a good sport about his snub. (laughs) I I have to say, like when I was looking at my best director predictions and I was moving people in and out, I knew that McKay and Peter Farrelly were, you know, easily the two people I could 
work with. I'm thinking, can I put in Powell? He did get the BAFTA nomination. The pundits seem to really be thinking that it's going to happen. I started thinking, Michael, you and I went all in on Deborah Granick and Leave yes, No Trace. Thelma and Louise. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it was always kind of in the back of my mind because we did learn our lesson with Ben Affleck uh, that this could very well happen again. It's just very tough when you get Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, DGA, BAFTA that, you know, that sometimes they still miss. <laughs> it's it's It happens, though, you know? But uh, Lanthimos is back. Yeah, baby. He came back with a vengeance. That movie really did very, very well on the day. It maxed out pretty much. Ten nominations, and it was tied for the most with Roma. I mean, the only other thing it could have gotten was if it was shortlisted for makeup a couple weeks ago. Uh, as I'm looking at it here, I think you're right. It got cinematography. It got editing, which was huge. Yeah. yeah. It basically got everything that it realistically could get. Right. Anything else would have been like that would have tipped it into over into yeah. overperforming. Where here, I wouldn't say it overperformed. It it just simply got everything it needed to. Yeah. Anything else would have been gravy. Right. Same thing with um. Well, actually, no. I take that back. I was going to say Black Klansman, but that's not true because John mm-hmm. David Washington. So yeah, I take I take that back. Yeah, but that's not as big of a miss as like stars weren't missing directing and editing. Right, that's right. Just, you know, didn't get gravy on top of the mashed potatoes. No, no, no. Because Black Klansman had below the line support. I mean, like Vice was never filmed that maxed out. Yeah, I would Pretty say much. so. Yeah. Unless you wanted to add Steve Carell to supporting actor. No, I'm good. Thank you. Um, but I think that it definitely. I think Vice and favorite. Uh, the only thing that Roma is missing is editing. I don't think that's such a big deal. And people are so quick to say, oh, but you need editing. Well, not every movie needs it. And Birdman did just fine without it. Roma is not really a movie about the editing. Let's also remember, too, really quickly, that Shape of Water won last year without a SAG Ensemble nomination. And right. that was something that we kept hearing as an excuse against it all the way up until the Oscars, that it didn't have that bloody nomination right and people would always use sag as a way of saying oh actors aren't going to love it well the fact that i got two surprise or semi-surprise acting nominations this morning i think more than makes up for that argument yeah totally agree with you Mm -hmm. so let's take a step back now as we look at best picture for a minute here and let's look at uh the whole right let's get a look at the whole picture so we have eight nominees for best picture our, our constant back and forth over what was going to be the ninth pick between First Man and Beale Street was all for naught. <laughs> Black yeah. Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. So, we said before, Roma and The Favorite each lead with 10 nominations, followed by eight nominations for A Star is Born and Vice. Then we have seven nominations for Black Panther, followed by six nominations for Black Klansman. And I think Green Book has five. Bohemian has five. Yeah. I mean, that's... Cold War's got three. It didn't get picture. I mean, I got to ask you guys, do you think Cold War uh, in a year of 10 would have gotten in? Yeah, it was number nine, I think. I think so, too. Yeah, anything that's in the director lineup, I think you have to consider for a best picture lineup. Now, just looking at the rest of the nominations, because I love having fun with this. If we know Cold War was in, then what do we think was then truly the final slot then, if in a year of 10? Beale Street. Yeah, Beale Street makes the most sense, right? Yeah, I would say it was Beale Street. I'd say so, too. 
We were all thinking First Man before, but given how that performed today, I don't think that was... I mean, Beale Street got acting, it got screenplay, it got score. That's, that's you know, along with picture. I mean, we've seen other Best Picture nominees over the last couple of years in preferential get in for less. Honestly, if you want to keep going further down the list, I think 11 and 12 were Can You Ever Forgive Me and Buster Scruggs. You, you might be correct. Possibly, yeah. 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 Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, now that we know what we know and we have the full picture here, you know, it's interesting because I, lo- I look now towards SAG this Sunday. A Star is Born's nominated for Ensemble, but man, did it get clobbered without the uh, directing and editing noms. Yeah. So yeah. I think this race for picture, I really think it's come down to Roma. And I'm going to say it. I think it's Klansman. Yeah, it looks like oh, it. Yeah. With Green Book yeah. as a spoiler, I, I don't think Green Book's going to win because the, even though they won on preferential at the PGA, preferential at the Oscar is a very, very different group. True. And with this new Academy, I just can't imagine that film making it very far on a preferential ballot. Even with an editing nomination, even with actors, it just if it were the old system where they're just picking normally, I think it would actually win Best Picture. But as it works now, I, I just can't imagine that happening. So, so uh, I mean, in terms of just pathways, you know, and, and ways that things can happen, because now that certain contenders are missing in certain categories, like, for example, the fact that First Man is no longer in editing, that almost says to me that our best film editing winner might be, it could be Black Klansman. It could it be, could be. It, it, right? And if Klansman wins editing and it wins, say, adapted screenplay, after it wins the WGA, hypothetically, if it does win the WGA, it probably will win the WGA. So, I don't know. I think I think the big thing right now is I'm looking at I'm looking at DGA, and I'm looking at Quaron and Spike, because everybody thinks Quaron is going to take it, but we've been pretty sure about certain contenders winning WG uh, a DGA before, and then somebody else out of nowhere scoops it away. I'm looking at you, Tom Hooper. So. Not to equate Spike Lee to Tom Hooper, yeah, no, this, I'm just this saying. This would be a lot better of a situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to say, uh, I, I, in a situation of it being Roma and Klansman, I am perfectly happy with either winner in that scenario. Yeah, that, that would be yeah. either one would reflect the times. Yeah, yeah. And I, de- and I think they would both stand the test of time too. Actually, uh, both as a snapshot of where we are now, but also acting uh, Roma as a piece of art. And Klansman as a piece of entertainment. And activism. Yeah. I'm interested yeah. to see what happens at SAG. If Black Klansman wins SAG, I think, I'm not going to say I'm going to call the race, but it's going to shift how I view things. If anything other than Klansman takes it, which I'm not actually not predicting Klansman for SAG, but if anything but that takes it, I'm going to keep Roma for now. But this could be more of a race between the two of them. I have a feeling, I, I have a very weird feeling Crazy Rich Asians or Bohemian might win SAG, and then right, we I'm don't... I'm predicting Bohemian or Black Panther for SAG. Well, I'm just, I'm just going with the scenario where I don't think SAG is going to help us. But if they do end up going for Klansmen, would that change how you view this race? Oh, 100%. 1,000%. Yeah, I, I, would, I would be super, super, super close then to saying that Spike Lee is winning DGA at that point. Um I would be very close to predicting that. And then at if that point... If Klansman went SAG, this would be very similar to Spotlight because Spotlight didn't win any Globes and then it picked up just SAG Ensemble. And then from there on out, we know what happened. 
Didn't Spotlight win Critics' Choice Best Picture? Uh, Spotlight did win Critics' Choice for Best Picture. It did? Oh, my God. See, to me, if Klansman were to win SAG Ensemble, to me, it would feel a little bit more like... uh, I mean, I know that King's Speech won the PGA, but that, to me, is where it feels like the turn would start to happen with the industry. And that would be a huge thing for that movie, especially, especially since... It hasn't really won a major prize yet, but it's always been in the conversation, but it hasn't ever crossed that finish line to actually pick up anything. And if we can get Sang Ensemble, I think that will be the start of the momentum shifting. And I would then assume that Spike is in a good position to win DGA. Can we just take a moment to reflect that 30 years ago? Spike Lee got a nomination for screenplay for Do the Right Thing. Danny Aiello got a uh, nomination supporting actor for that movie. And that was all that that movie received. And here we are now. And we could have had a scenario. Like, we really could have had a scenario where Klansman got writing. Adam Driver got in. And I don't know. Like, we could it could have been a complete 100% repeat. But instead... A man who has given so much of his life to cinema has taught so many young and up-and-coming filmmakers about the craft and honed in on their skill and helped nurture them and taught at, you know, classes in New York. And I mean, like, the guy is just so influential, not just in what he's done for the future, but also, too, just his voice in general and how unique he is. For him to finally get this recognition, this well-deserved nod, sometimes life is all about timing some and, and it's just like the stars just completely, I feel like, aligned for Spike with this movie. And I'll be very, very curious to see if that narrative really does start to take hold as we exit phase one and enter into phase two now. Because this is where the momentum really could shift. Or, or Roma could just continue to take everything. And hey, that's fine if it does. You know, if Spike Lee still ends up winning adapted screenplay, he's got his competitive Oscar. And, you know, no no one last year complained when James Ivory won his competitive Oscar in screenplay instead of, you know, a, a director win that could have happened years ago for his career. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And it was so nice to see Spike this morning. There was a video posted to Instagram of him reacting to hearing Black Clansman in Best Picture. And you could just tell he was absolutely ecstatic. Yeah. There was that, and then he put out a written statement in Variety when they had uh, nominees react to the news this morning. And his quote was, he said, I wasn't nervous. I made the film, been in the campaign, shook hands, kissed babies, did all the stuff I had to. I was at peace. You hang around for 30 years, you never know what's going to happen. And he just goes on to say, we were the film, we were the long shot, but we came around at the right time. I understand it was the right time, and I like being the dark horse. That's awesome. He said, I like being the Dark Horse, pun intended, I should add. (laughs) (laughs) And what a moment it would be. Yeah. It'd be huge. (sighs) All right. uh, Anything that we didn't touch upon with these nominations? Anything at all? We did a pretty thorough job. I think so. I just want to quickly, just one last thing before we go. I just want to make sure if there's any fan questions touching on anything that we didn't touch on. I'm just skimming through those really quickly to give our fans a chance here to voice... Uh, their questions so as you skim through that just one thing to add about score that just uh, popped up on twitter actually from our good friend will mavity he has a theory for why first man missed okay go ahead and that is because as we mentioned before they use different uh, voting method in each branch and this year in uh, this music branch it was the first thing that they use a preferential system 
and they had 15 scores to choose from. So for a film that was so divisive, Will thinks that the people who hated it, and there were people who hated the first man score, ranked it at 15. Oh, okay. You know, this was the first year we got these short lists for a lot of these categories, too. It was very helpful. Uh, yeah, I have to say so. It definitely helped with predicting nominations for sure. I feel like there would have been a lot of categories where I would have gotten one or two <laughs> instead of getting three or four, you know? So I don't see any other questions at this time. Uh, you know what? Eh, you know what? Yeah, this is fine. I think that uh, this is good, and I think that we can address some of these uh, questions that pertain more so to the winners at a later date. And when I say later date, I really do mean later date because in two days' time or by the time people are listening to this, one day's time, I will be heading off to Park City for Sundance where I'll be gone actually for an extended period of time. I'm going to be there for the whole festival. So we will not, for the first time I think in years – I don't even know. It might be the first time ever. We will not have an episode uh, this Sunday on January 27th. So hopefully this episode is enough for people uh, to help them get through everything until I come back uh, February 3rd. And we'll uh, have a lot to go over, actually, when I come back. Uh, we actually have some MVP Film Awards to give out and some nominations. So we'll be discussing a new set of nominations around that time there. All right. Uh, all right, cool. Yeah, we're, we're good. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Liam, you still with us? I am just about still here. Oh my gosh. I, I can't believe that you're still with us, man. Hey, you're a trooper and I appreciate you. Tell all the good folks listening where they can find you on the internet. You can find me at this is the half. Go to sleep, my friend. Tom O'Brien, where can they find you? You can find me at Thomas E. O'Brien. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Oscar nominations are officially announced. We know what, what we're playing with, and the game is already set. It's going to be not that long, actually. I mean, we only have one month to really deliberate and think about this when you really sit back and think about it. So I think that there's a lot that can still happen, and I think that momentum can definitely change. And if it doesn't, eh, you know what? They're just awards uh, to me at the end of the day. I'm, I'm not going to get so bent out of shape about it that I'm going to like set fires or start rioting or something like that. And uh, I have to say, too, just really quickly, uh, the discourse uh, on on Twitter, especially, I, I want to applaud some people who, you know, kept things down to a minimum and people were respectful and everybody was good, you know, so that's always a nice thing to see. With that said, you've been listening to episode 127 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback there. Leave us a comment. It helps people to discover us, which is awesome. Also, too, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, and we shall see you all next time.